0: Hi, and welcome back to the Curious Case of Freedom. Today, I would like to continue our Gestalt series. I would like to pause the examination of neurotic contact interruptions and their origin in our creative adjustment in order to have a closer look at polarities, while as always using the Gestalt lens in order to try and gain an understanding of the state we're in. I believe that every aspect of our lives, from our inner landscape to the way that we understand the world around us, is relational. We are relational beings, and everything that we can conceive of, we conceive of contextually, that is, in the way that it relates to other things. Polarities is one such relational model. As we have discussed in previous episodes, polarities might, at first glance, or on some level, appear contradictory, dichotomous, black or white, good or bad, either or and nothing in between and both are mutually exclusive. But polarities are actually simply two sides of the same coin. One is dependent on the other. That is, one could not exist without the other. Fundamentally, I believe that this relational model between polarities is deeply rooted not only in our understanding of ourselves and everything around us, but also in our very existence. In our understanding, we could often not conceive of one polarity without having a notion or inclination of the other. This we can find in the simplest things, like our understanding of tall versus short, cold versus hot, winter versus summer, north versus south, and so on. But in addition to our understanding, our mere existence is dependent on the equilibrium between different polarities. The balance between ebb and flow inhaling and exhaling, our muscular makeup with tension and relaxation, wake and sleep, our body's regulation of our blood flow, temperature, and so on. We could not survive without the existence of one side of these different coins, without the balance between these polarities. This yin and yang can be found in the very notion of existence versus non-existence. While in non-existence we find chaos and potentiality, in existence we find order and actuality. With chaos everything is possible and nothing is given. That is unmaterialized potentiality. Existence, on the other hand, is potential that is realized that becomes reality. This shift from nothing to something is the shift from chaos to order, from the potential to the real, from having no discernible difference between a form or figure against its background to an actual gestalt forming that differentiates itself from its background, a form with boundaries. It is by its boundaries that anything in existence differentiates itself what it is not. So order in this context is perhaps not in the sense that we are used to thinking about it. It is not necessarily only designed and willed order, but rather could also include natural and spontaneous order. We find chaos depicted, amongst other places, in the myths of the Near East, in the Genesis creation account. It is referred to in Biblical Hebrew as the chaotic tohu vavohu, the state of affairs before God spoke the universe into existence. Indeed, acquiring that differentiation and defining the boundaries, separating between the Gestalts, was so foundational to the creation of existence as was perceived by people going back literally thousands of years, that God was said to have spent the first three days of creation, so the first half of the creation process, distinguishing light from darkness on day one, Heavens from Earth on day two, and the seas from the land on day three. Without first defining and distinguishing between these polarities, nothing else could come into existence. I believe that before we are born, when we are floating in our mother's womb, we experience no polarities. We are one with our mother and with the universe around us. We are oblivious to them. And so, psychologically speaking, there is nothing to be a part of or from. We are born out of this state of unity and gradually begin to differentiate and individuate ourselves, always in relation to our environment. In the first stages of development, a baby does not distinguish between herself and her mother. Her mother's smile reassures her that all is good with the world, and her mother's frown tells her that all is not well. A polarity of good versus bad can already be recognized. A dualistic relationship slowly becomes apparent. I'm never fundamentally independent or isolated, but always in contact. We're constantly in relationship with others, shaping and being shaped, even in their absence. Perhaps an example of a point of differentiation between myself and my environment can be found in these two scenarios. In the first scenario, a baby is sucking on his own thumb. He is one with himself. He slowly learns that every time he wants his thumb in his mouth, he can make it happen. When this principle becomes apparent to him, a smile of satisfaction appears on his round little face. In the second scenario, a baby comes to learn that every time he cries for milk, his mother comes. But one day, he cries out and she doesn't come. He thought he had discovered another principle, but in fact, he has merely discovered a probability. He learns this to his sorrow. A point of differentiation or separation between himself and his mother and consequently between himself and his environment, becomes evident to him. I believe this process by which we learn to distinguish ourselves from our environment, this shift from oneness to separateness, is what stands behind the polarities of our basic human needs and impulses. Our need for self-actualization and individuation on the one hand, versus our need for belonging and being a part of a community on the other. Our need for security and predictability on the one hand, versus our need for novelty and exploration on the other. It is the balancing between these seemingly contradictory polar needs that accompanies us throughout our lives. In our formative years, in our process of contact, growth and development, in balancing between these polar needs, we come to realize that in order for us to survive in our environment, we must sacrifice certain aspects of ourselves that are not accepted by our environment. For example, when a child's expression of the need for love is met with rejection, aggression with punishment, vulnerability with cruelty, curiosity with defensiveness, and so on. Human beings are resilient as well as persistent, and single instances of rejection or punishment rarely damage a person. We do not require a perfect environment for growth, but only one which is good enough for healthy development. However, there are responses from the environment that have a less salutary effect. A frequently repeated response such as constant rejection, discouragement, time-outs, forcing of compliance, and not to mention corporal punishment, can all have a major impact on a young budding self. Conditions such as these demand that the person cope with a conflict between the need for survival and qualities of the developing self. Aspects of the self that the environment rejects become alienated. Qualities of the personality, such as the impulse towards curiosity, the want for love, The capacity for vulnerability, sexual feelings, are disowned. Disowning intrinsic aspects of oneself, be they needs, capacities or behaviours, is something like deciding you don't want to have a particular room in your house, but cannot get rid of it because its existence is essential to the integrity of the rest of the building. All you can do is board it up and pretend it doesn't exist. We can relegate such parts of ourselves to the boarded-up dark of unawareness, but they continue to exist, even while we pretend that such qualities are not important. I can prevent myself from behaving in emotional ways and I can remove emotionality from my image of myself, but I cannot truly excise my emotions from my being. This is how polarities start to emerge and manifest in our image of ourselves. From what once was a whole, we slice off and disown parts of ourselves and identify solely with our polar opposites. My image of myself can then be that I'm always kind and never cruel, or that I'm clumsy and not graceful. I either see myself as boring or as interesting. I used to think of myself as someone who simply never gets angry, shying away from any possible conflict while grinding my teeth at night. You've probably heard many people saying things like, I'm just not the type of person who ever gets upset, putting themselves neatly in this drawer or another. For me, it was simply too dangerous to acknowledge my own anger during my school years And so I alienated anger from my self-image. This idea that we all contain in us the polar opposite of those characteristics that we identify with may be a hard thing to get our heads around. After all, we all have our personalities, our proclivities, our likes, our dislikes, the things that we identify with and the things that appear foreign to us. And that is natural that that would be the case. After all, We define ourselves, our boundaries, partially by what we are not. However, we are each capable of hardness as well as softness, clumsiness as well as grace, kindness as well as cruelty. In fact, I strongly believe that it is precisely our capacity for cruelty that makes us moral agents. We could not act out of goodness if we didn't have the ability to choose differently. It is in our capacity to consciously choose between good and evil that we exercise our moral agency. Some of the worst atrocities of the 20th century did not just, as we may sometimes believe, result by the rise to power of one mustached psychopath or another, but more fundamentally, they resulted by people following blindly Oblivious to their own potential for destruction, fractured within themselves, and unwilling to see their own capacity for cruelty. Taking ownership of our own individual actions has to, in some way, start with recognizing our own whole and full potential, and making an explicit decision, as a moral agent, to choose differently. And as long as we disown those aspects of ourselves that we do not wish to acknowledge, including cruelty, we risk perpetuating and legitimizing immoral practices while remaining oblivious to our own actions and their consequences. It is interesting to see that while we are very well aware of the balance between polarities in the world around us While we are aware of the existence of a yin and yang in the nature of our reality, when it comes to our inner makeup, we're inclined to think of ourselves in terms of either-or. Either hard or soft, either selfish or selfless, either good or bad. But it doesn't end there. The characteristics, needs and capacities of ourselves that we disown, we then tend to project outwards, onto our environment. This is how often we are quick to spot the speck in another's eye before removing the log from our own. Those polarities that we project out into the world direct our way of seeing our environment. We think more and more in terms of black and white, of either or, of good or bad. It is clear to see how this plays out in our political landscape that is increasingly polarized into left versus right. Both sides of this very limited political paradigm see themselves as the righteous ones, frequently vilifying the other side, while both are willing to force their views on others in the name of their own righteous ideology, and blind to the violent nature of forcing their opinions on others. In politics especially, we find ourselves subscribing to a package deal. If my image of myself is that I'm on one side of the political spectrum, I will often buy into whatever my political leaders peddle as the correct way of organizing society, or of solving this problem or that. Not because I have weighed the matter myself, but but because I have disowned that part of myself that is allowed to think differently from my so-called in-group. My needs for symbiosis and safety then overweigh my needs for exploration and individuation. On a personal level, I lose my balance. And on a political level, I contribute to the perpetuation of social polarisation. The political landscape that we are accustomed to reflects and plays on the inner schisms between our polarities. Its rhetoric is divisive and invites us to think increasingly in false dichotomies. Either you care about the environment or you are a greedy capitalist. Either you get vaccinated or you are anti-science. Either you accept the law of the land or you are morally corrupt. I believe that it is important to look for ways to free ourselves from these false dichotomies to reject a political paradigm that keeps us divided, and to search for and develop ourselves a political philosophy that enables us to see those false dichotomies for what they are, political manipulations. A philosophy of freedom is a philosophy of and-also, rather than of either-or. It's a philosophy that invites us to think for ourselves, and to feel for ourselves. In future episodes, we will delve deeper into a philosophy of freedom, but for now, I would like to stay on the individual level, since, as I have said in past episodes, I believe that freedom starts with the individual, and so the process of becoming whole again, reconciling between our many polarities, also starts with the individual. A podcast is, of course, no substitution for therapy. But in the next episode, I would like to continue to explore how we experience our fractured selves. And perhaps through observing that, we can start to look for ways to heal and become whole again. Thank you.
1: Conviction requires me to act And my conviction is that nobody's got the right to be Forcing others to act Even if they do believe They're trying to protect themselves or me To require I put something into my body So that you can feel safer in this world of attack And act so violent and extreme My legs shake like so many leaves Forcing me to retract And I can see that you believe I'm just a selfish human being For my desire to put nothing into my body So that I can feel safer in this world of attacks